is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Stacy Washington. Hello. Happy Kavanaugh Day. That's right. Judge Kavanaugh is on the hot seat right now, and he's giving it as good as he can get it. I'm telling you, he has lit that room on fire. And his wife, in the background, she's telegraphing all the feelings. She was weeping at one point, and now that he's talking to Dianne Feinstein, she's given Dianne Feinstein the righteous indignation of a wife who is watching her husband go for it. She's given her the daggers, and I'm loving it. Because there's if there's one thing you don't want to do, it's mess with a, with a woman's husband. You don't want to be on that path. And that's where they are. These people, they, so what they did was, they really thought that Judge Kavanaugh, he only had one side to him. It was his demeanor at the hearing when he was originally testifying for the 36 hours or whatever that was. And then his demeanor in the interview with Martha McCallum, where I saw online people were making fun of him and saying he sounded like Mr. Magoo and he was, you know, really just the nerdiest guy ever. And that's when the, the mean jokes started coming out about, um, you know, removing his body parts by Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how infantile and juvenile and ridiculous the left can be when they think they've, (laughs) we can laugh now because he's going down, he's destroyed. And then today he's bringing the fire, not the regular fire. He's bringing that straight volcanic fire that leaves either, it's leaving ash in its wake or it's burning everything up instantly and it's just going to keep on moving through. That's what he's bringing today. And with good reason. If he's not willing to go out swinging today, then he's going to go out. And he's defending all I've heard so far and all I've read so far is people saying how much he's defending his personal honor against these attacks. He even has the calendars that show he wasn't in town during the time frame that she's discussing. Now, we're going to have some audio uh, from Megan Kelly, who talks about evidence. And we've talked about this a little bit, too, on the show, the exculpatory evidence. Um, see, here's the thing. In order for this to work, it has to be plausible. You have to hear it, and it has to make sense for you. And... While we all have our opinions about it, it's really not about what the American people think as much. You know, you can get stuff trending on Twitter and we can talk here. It's really about what Americans are saying to their elected officials. You know, do you do you support Kavanaugh or don't you? And here in Missouri, we have Claire McCaskill, who got out ahead of this thing and said she didn't want to have to weigh in on whether or not he's guilty about these allegations. But she didn't feel like he was a good fit for the Supreme Court. And so she'd be voting against him. And uh So we're going to see how that works out. But as I said, the details don't add up. So you've got the Kavanaugh accuser who she honestly, she's supposed to know more things than she admitted to with that because everyone kept referring to her CV, her curriculum vitae, that she's this impressive individual. And so I was expecting her to come out swinging with that, you know, that kind of professor demeanor. She's wearing the glasses that look like somebody smeared them with Crisco and Her hair is kind of wild and the presentation is just, you're like, what is going on here? And then she opens her mouth and she sounds like she's, you know, still in her teens. And, you know, we have such great callers on this show. The 
assertion that it's kind of like Potiphar. Maybe when she was rejected by him, she can stop developing as an adult emotionally. Maybe she just stopped right there. And that's where she's stuck. And that's why she has to bring this horrible, horrible allegation against him to the detriment of her family and herself. Because I, I definitely believe her when she says she's getting threats. I certainly get a ton of threats myself for when when I have something go viral. The first thing that happens is people, oh, I didn't realize you were a black conservative. And then they start coming after me. I get it. Um, but we'll go to the audio in just a second here. I want to go back to the phones. Um, oh, OK, Hilda in Texas. Hilda, thank you so much for calling the show and thanks for holding over. Yes. Yeah. Welcome to the show. I'm not sure if we can hear each other. Can you hear me, Hilda? Up. Oh, okay. Um, uh, she's gone. So if you'd like to call back, you're welcome to do so. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. We'd love to talk to you. While we're doing that, let's get to her admitting that she doesn't know who paid for the polygraph. Now, remember, there's a lot of travel going on during this time. It's unfortunate she was sharing with the the hearing this morning that her grandmother had passed away, so she'd come back to the East Coast to go to a funeral, and then this polygraph is scheduled, and she agreed to do it. I think that's weird. You're grieving the loss of a family member, and you decide to take a polygraph the next day, but she did. It's number two. He actually conducted the polygraph not in his office in Virginia, but actually at the hotel next to Baltimore Washington Airport. Is that right? Correct. Why was that location chosen for the polygraph? I had left my grandmother's funeral at uh, Fort Lincoln Cemetery that day and was uh, on tight schedule to get a plane to Manchester, New Hampshire. So he was willing to come to me, which was appreciated. So he administered a polygraph on the day that you attended your grandmother's funeral? Yeah, correct. Or it might have been the next day. I spent the night in the hotel, so I don't Um, remember the exact day. Have you ever had discussions with anyone uh, besides your attorneys on how to take a polygraph? Never. And I don't just mean countermeasures, but I mean just any sort of tips or anything like that. No, I was scared of the test itself, but was comfortable that I could tell the information and the test would reveal whatever it was going to reveal. I didn't expect it to be as long as it was going to be, so it was a little bit stressful. Have you ever given tips or advice to somebody who was looking to take a polygraph test? Never. Okay. Did you pay for the polygraph yourself? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. Do you know who did pay for the polygraph? Not yet, no. So... Um, there's so much there. First of all, the questioner couldn't believe when she said it was either the day of her mom's funeral or it was the day after. I don't know. I stayed in the hotel, so I'm not sure. She's so cavalier about the details. And if you want to be taken seriously, I know, I know that I'm just speaking from a position of being, you know, kind of logical here, but you want to be taken seriously. Do you not say to yourself, you know, do you not say, I better get my facts straight. I better go ahead and have an outline and I better kind of, you know, have these details together because if I don't, I'm 
going to appear not credible. And the last thing I want to do is drag my family through this and get this entire, you know, process gummed up if I can't present my case in a way that convinces these senators that this isn't the right choice to make. But she's so cavalier about it. It's almost like, oh, I could I could have taken a polygraph. I could not have. I did, but I'm not sure what day it was. They went on to ask her if uh, was there a camera or video audio recording or video recording equipment there. And she danced around that one. I mean, it was like a square dance. She just couldn't touch it. She went all the way around it. She didn't want to answer it. And I don't know why she couldn't just admit that, of course, they videotaped it. And of course, it was audio recorded. Of course it was. She tried to act as if she didn't know. She told them it was in a conference room at the hotel. But the guy was behind her, so she couldn't see. But if there was audio recording equipment, it would have been on the table in front of her. If there was video equipment, it would have been in front of her. What in the world makes her think we are going to believe her if she can't get these basic details right? Remember, the polygraph was not 36 years ago. The polygraph was in August. She can't say what exact day it was. She doesn't know who paid for it. She doesn't know if it was audio or video recorded. I mean, it's just hard to believe. So there's been much ado about this so-called FBI investigation. Let's take a call and then we'll listen to some way back Uh, machine audio from Joe Biden, which I was kind of surprised to see him this vehement about it. But then again, it was his good friend, Bill Clinton, that he was defending. Let's go to Kathy in Mississippi. Hey, Kathy, thanks for calling the show today. Hello. Hi. Uh, My name is Catherine. I'm from Mississippi. Thanks for calling. I just wanted to make a comment. I I find the young lady, the woman, the doctor, not credible. I have been raped myself. And I can tell you, the details never leave you. You always remember what happened to you, where you were, how you got to one place to another, because all of those things mean something to you. And they just don't escape your mind. And for me, it's been just as long because I was 18, and now I'm over 60. So I remember, and I can recall the details like yesterday. So I just don't find her credible. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for, um, you know, being willing to to talk about that today on the radio. Thank you, Kathy. Um, and we, we did hear a couple of other people say something similar to that um, on Friday of last week. And it's really important that we, I, I, I have a lot of respect for women who go forward and they come out in public and they, they have credible allegations. They bring them and they see their, you know, the, the person who assaulted them brought to justice. But I also believe that the process that they undertake is the sole process for getting that done. If the prosecution of the person who assaulted you becomes politicized and is done without any evidence, then it becomes an issue where you're basically setting yourself up over the target to get fired on. And it means that the actual assault becomes the secondary or third issue instead of being the primary issue that you want resolved. And that's what's happening here. Christine Blasey Ford has been used. If she was assaulted, and we haven't even covered the story, um, apparently there were a couple of guys who have come forward, and one of them is supposedly as crazy as a loon, and the other one they're still investigating. 
that have admitted that they were the ones who, you know, had this encounter with Christine Blasey Ford when she was 15 years old. That's what they're saying. We don't know if it's credible. I know that the Senate Judiciary Panel has been investigating and speaking with witnesses and trying to corroborate their stories. But clearly, you know, there's more to this, much more. So let's listen to Joe Biden back in 1991 on the issue of them having an FBI investigation, which coincidentally, uh, Judge Kavanaugh just eviscerated Dianne Feinstein over this issue. It's number six. I said from the beginning, this is about whether or not sexual harassment occurred. And lastly, Judge, with me from the beginning and at this moment until the end, the presumption is with you. Now we're going to hear more witnesses are going to come in and cooperate your position and hers. We'll find out whether they're telling the truth or not as best as we are capable of doing, just like you as a judge are when you look them in the eye and make a judgment. So, Judge, this is less directed at you than it is to my pontificating colleagues, Democrat and Republican alike. I'm sorry. So I I mentioned Bill Clinton. This was during the confirmation hearings of uh, Justice Clarence Thomas. And Judge Thomas is sitting there. He's visibly shining from, you know, kind of sweating in his chair. And he's been accused of these horrible things by Anita Hill. And he's trying to defend himself. And people are saying, oh, well, we need an FBI investigation. And he's saying they're, they're not going to give you anything. An FBI investigation is not going to exonerate the, the nominee. All it's going to do is just give information. Basically, interviews that have been taken by the FBI will be submitted on a form called a 302. He goes on a little bit further. I call this going back in the way back machine, back to when Democrats still had a little bit of sense. And we'll listen to that coming in from the next break. Um, right now, we're going to be preparing to talk to Mason Weaver. So stay right there. More Stacey on the right up next. Stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. 
During the confirmation hearings for Judge Brett Kavanaugh, we saw lots of protesters screaming outside the hearing room. Senator Dick Durbin declared that what we heard is the noise of democracy. Actually, what we heard was the noise of a mob. And that's exactly what the founders of this country feared. First, we need to remind our citizens that we are a republic and not a democracy. We elect representatives to federal, state, and local governments to consider legislation that affects our lives. This was the intended plan put forth by the Constitutional Convention. And that brings us to our second point. The framers of the Constitution did not want a democracy. They feared that it would be a mobocracy. James Madison defined a democracy as a society consisting of a small number of citizens who assemble and administer the government in person. He went on to explain that democracies have been spectacles of turbulence and contention. Why was he and other founders so critical of democracies? All you have to do is read Federalist Paper Number 10 to see that Madison was concerned about how factions could tear a country apart. Wisdom, prudence, and good judgment quickly go out the window when a mob of angry people begins to push for a particular law or policy. The framers established checks and balances to prevent a vigilante spirit that would hastily push forward a wrong-headed policy. That is why it takes so long to pass legislation in America. The framers wanted to provide ample time for reflection and consideration. It was an attempt to tamp down the noise of a mob and carefully craft legislation that would serve all the people rather than just a few people trying to force their will on the rest of us. What we saw this month was not the noise of democracy, but the noise of a mob intent on trying to bully Congress and subvert the Republican form of government given to us by the founders. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From Universal 1440, Unbroken, Path to Redemption, the rest of World War II hero Louis Zamperini's true story, now playing rated PG-13. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Judge, I have not made my judgment based upon this proceeding because we have not heard all the evidence. And the last thing I'll point out the next person that refers to an FBI report as being worth anything obviously doesn't understand anything. FBI explicitly does not, in this or any other case, reach a conclusion. Period. Period. So, Judge, there's no reason why you should know this. The reason why we cannot rely on the FBI report, you wouldn't like it if we did because it is inconclusive. They say he said, she said, and they said, period. So when people wave an FBI report before you, understand, they do not, they do not, they do not reach conclusions. They do not make, as my friend points out more adequate, they do not make recommendations. And it's the truth. And so the idea that the FBI needs to complete a seventh investigation into Kavanaugh when they've already done six is just another delay tactic because it would take time for them to figure out who they want to interview, get the people together and interview them, and then create the 302s necessary to close out their investigations. It's not about that. And as Judge Kavanaugh just pointed out from the, the, the hearing room, I'm already here. You're already talking to me. I'm already telling you I didn't do this. And I have my calendars to prove that I wasn't in the area when it happened. 
So it's my pleasure to welcome frequent guest on the program, a good friend of mine, Mason Weaver. Um, Mason, I know you... Uh-oh. We maybe lost him. Okay, we'll get him back. Um, he actually said he was going to be watching grass grow this morning. I'm not sure if he just watched grass grow or if he actually delved into the he- the hearings and all of that as I was doing this morning. But... Um, I'm also reading a timeline over at CBS News where they kind of have some quotes from uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who called the entire proceeding a circus. He said the allegations against him were a grotesque and coordinated character assassination that will dissuade competent and good people of all persuasions from serving their country. He also suggested that the last two weeks of the confirmation process has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit that he claims is out of outrage over the 2016 political election. So let's go to Mason. Mason, thank you for joining the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure, as always. Okay, so you had an interesting perspective on this this morning, which I actually had been thinking the same thing. And then that's when I decided I got to have you on the show because you articulated it so well. I So I'd actually thought after watching it for a couple of hours, I went to Facebook for a couple of minutes and I, I stumbled upon your video. And as I was watching it, I thought, so that's that's what I'm feeling here is I'm feeling like it no longer even matters if he did it to me because my bigger aims, my aims have to do with the future and less to do with 36 years ago. Can you talk about that? Absolutely correct. It is all about the future. It is all about the Second Amendment. It is all about can Christians continue to be discriminated against. It is all about law and the law. And even the... Democrats know that. Even the liberals know that. Every member of that committee, Democrats and Republicans, know this woman is lying. They know it's not true. And we got to stop allowing the bullies around by pushing our, our ego and our, and our feelings. We have to say this Supreme Court justice nomination is too important to even consider something that happened 35 years ago at 17 years old. It's just, it's ludicrous and it's foolish. And I wish those men, especially what happened to white people? You got white men, ashamed of being white men, let them, let them shame their ego by saying, we're going to have a female questioner for you. Let's stop this. That's in the nightmare. Americans are tired of seeing it. We know what's happening. We can't wait for the vote. And conservative Christians are just sitting back waiting for the election. It's our time to speak then. Okay, so let's 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 get into it. You 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 started it. Just remember that, Mason. You started it when you said what's happened to white people. I thought that the Republicans at first I was like, hmm, that might be a good idea. And then I thought, wait a minute. Why do we have to tell why, why do we have to do what the minority says? The minority says if they question Blazy Ford, it'll be a bunch of white men questioning a woman. Well, hasn't Blazy Ford been in these situations before? She might have had her Ph.D. committee be nothing but white men. She might have had her instructors in college be nothing but white men. It's entirely possible that that's been her exclusive experience. So why should this be any different? But they did. They caved and they let the other lady ask the questions. And it was much less. Uh, there, there were no fireworks because the other lady well, asked. Yeah, we need fireworks, folks. We, why are we afraid of fireworks? <laughs> that's the whole thing. I, I don't know. I think I think the people on the Senate Judiciary Panel seem like they're afraid of them. They're like, you know, how dogs have to wear those little vests because they're, they're scared of of the sound of fireworks exploding. It's like they need you know, a little vest. I, I wanna, the Republicans. I, I want to ask them a question. I, I need to know from these senators. Uh, you you caved in. How many how many people did you convey to your side? 
you gave up your authority as an elected official to do your job on the committee. How many favors did you get from Democrats? What goals did you win over by being so weak? What what, what did you gain by letting them attack your whiteness, your maleness? What is it that you got out of this? You never get anything from submitting to the wills of the little left liberals. You only get things when you stand up and win. America was waiting for the public to stand up and say, this is foolish. We're not going to consider it. Let's go and vote. They were the national heroes. They said they look like they're a bunch of scared, wimpy high school kids. All right, so let's talk about this next thing, which is a lot of people online social media who happen to be of the permanent tan, as you and I are, are saying that white rapists get to be president and Supreme Court justices, but black rapists have to go to jail. And then the names that they toss out are Bill Cosby versus Harvey Weinstein, uh, you know, Matt Lauer, Charlie Sheen. They're saying there's a double standard. And I, I, I've already pointed out that if there's a double standard, it's on the left because the, all of the people that you're naming off, Bill Cosby wasn't a leftist, but he attacked leftists, and that's why they took him down. They didn't take him down because he was that's, a black man. And Bill Clinton, exactly. they, they're not doing anything to him because he is on the left. That's why they've protected him is because he was a standard bearer for their policy. So it really has nothing to do with who's assaulted anyone. It has to do with what side you're on. But you, you're being logical and you're being truthful. That's if both of those are irrelevant to liberals. Liberals, there is no, to liberals, there is no real white privilege. There is liberal privilege. Mm-hmm. And they guide their life, they guide their actions on what's good for the ideology, what's good for the, for the tribe. They will destroy the right because they think the right is any friend with their little image of America. We have better recognize they are the enemy of progress, success, of capitalism. They're the enemy of families. They hate any individual thoughts. And that's, that's what they really are. And what's not what's happening now on, on the air is the public display for everyone to see. After this hearing, there should be no one on the fence. If anyone is left on the fence now, I hope they get a bad case of sprinters. Hmm. I, I, I honestly, I don't even need to see the rest of the hours. Just from the emails no. and, and comments that I'm seeing from his opening statement and his evisceration of Diane Feinstein, how could you doubt that he's telling the truth? And I love that he has the calendars because I'm one of those people, too. I have all of our calendars. So I'm kind of like, you know, if, if, you know, if you're coming at me with you did this or you did that back before you had metadata, I got my little paper calendars. I can tell you we were we were in town. We weren't in town. We had all the kids here. One kid was at camp. We were at my parents' house. We were at my aunt's house. We were at my grandparents' house. Whatever we were doing, I can kind of track it through. And I think it's interesting that people were kind of mocking Judge Calendar for breaking out calendars from 1982 and saying, who keeps the calendar in high school? And then I thought to myself, these are people who don't understand success, like you said. People who are successful keep calendars. And people who are really good at keeping a calendar have been keeping one since they were 18, if they were busy, if they had a life. And apparently, Judge Kavanaugh did. He kept a calendar. He even put on there when he was he was grounded. He even put, he, there are parts on there where he, <laughs> he, he blocked it off in pencil and put grounded. <laughs> In other words, can't, I can't go can't anywhere. <laughs> right. You know what? You know what, though? It, it doesn't matter if you have a calendar. It doesn't matter if you admit it on. If your accuser can't tell you what day, what place, what time, if your accuser cannot tell you who was there and they agree that was there, if your accuser cannot feel, imagine, or remember when everything happened, it doesn't matter what you remember. The accuser is unreliable and probably lying. And that's all we, the public needs to know. 
know. The woman cannot remember a single thing relative to this for evidential purposes. She can't remember anything but her name. I thought her, her uh, and I, I know you had other things that you were doing, but you missed a real <laughs> show because she had the voice of a 12 or 13-year-old, you know, girl. Not a, not an, an adolescent, but a girl. Her demeanor was she either had the shock face on or she was kind of looking like, are you talking to me? She had a, like a head tilt that was kind of, well, it comes from being a professor for all those years. She has a way of looking at you with her head tilted just so that makes you question whether or not you should even be in the room. So she was do, alternating between 12-year-old girl and, you know, 70-year-old professor. And she didn't have answers to questions, which she should have had. And, and I understand that memory is not perfect after 36 years. But if you're going to bring an allegation like this, you have to have a few things down. How you got there, how you got home, how, what day or at least week the party occurred. And I would say you could drive through the neighborhood and say it was that house right there. Like yep. you, you may not yep. know the address, but you could go back there and say it's this house right here. This is where it happened. But they're not interested in the truth. Had they been interested in the truth, they would have brought this allegation up long enough, early enough to investigate and research. There's been no, nobody that deposed. Uh, she can't even give a letter up library redacted. Uh, there's, there's nothing there. It's simply made up fantasy world by Democrats, hoping that Kamala would withdraw, like they hope Clarence Thomas would. And it's going to have the same reaction. It's going to have the same reaction in the polls. We just cannot wait to get in that booth and vote these clowns out. We cannot wait. I, I, I'm looking forward to November. Hmm. Well, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also I'm hopeful that people are listening to what we're saying today. And so this isn't about it, yes the the overlay the frosting on the cake is that this is about sexual assault. And there are so many victims out there, real victims who are really, you know, they're going to be deterred from coming forward, et cetera, et cetera. And that's wrong. But underneath the frosting of sexual assault is a cake baked up of nothing but lies and deceit and just the worst kind of prurient material that you ever have seen or smelt. And that is what we're trying to get rid of. We're trying to flush it out, beat it out, throw it out. Whatever we have to do to get it out, inject it with antibiotics, blast it with a laser, whatever we can yep. do to get rid of it. And the thin veneer of frosting is no longer enough to cover the stench. And so we've got to be diligent. We have to be praying about this and we have to be really the kinder approach does work better with uh, liberals who are open to having their minds change. But wasting our time trying to change their minds gets us away from the real goal, which is we have to return to God. We have to really say to ourselves, where am I? Where, where am I? Lord, am I where I need to be? And then listen to what he says and then do yep. that. But at least start by supporting a godly person in this argument. It's pretty clear who it is. And you mentioned the, the, the cake about sexual assault. That's not the issue. The issue is about a woman lying on a man in a interpretation. Mm. Uh, the, the, the IAC on the cake is irrelevant if the cake is poison. Mm. The cake is garbage. You can, you can put, uh, I think someone famous, uh, Governor of Alaska, said you can put lipstick on a pig, <laughs> it's still a pig. Uh, this is based on a lie. That's just someone's character. There was not a shred, not a thread of evidence, not a hint of evidence. No one could collaborate her story. No one, every, everyone, including the witness that she claimed, said that it didn't happen. So what is it that we're thinking about? We're trying to make up an image, and she is harming real victims who are now ashamed and afraid to come forth. She's she making it easier for these women to be victimized. And that's typical Democrats. 
any other party, the belief system of abuse. Well, I already said that. I actually tweeted that out, Mason. I said the people on the D side are acting like this guy's one of their own. You know, Ted Kennedy with the dead date and, and uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein with multiple rapes and sexual assaults under his belt for 30 some odd years. Bill Clinton, nothing but rapes and exposing himself and all that good stuff from the time he went into politics until he got too old to, to chase women around tables. And on and on it goes. The list is long. You got Cory Booker. Now it's been real. In his book, he admits he groped somebody. You have Keith Ellison, who beat his last girlfriend, sent her to the hospital. 911 calls, emails, all proof he did it. He's still running around free. Democrats haven't castigated him. I could go on and on and on, but this is a short show. I'm telling you, this is not Kavanaugh's problem. He's being made the poster boy for it because of the Supreme Court. Uh, if women really want a Me Too movement to be impactful, it should just be about what's right and what's wrong and not make it about femininity or or feminism or or being a woman. Make it about people breaking the law and that you're against that. And then you have to clean up at home first. It's irrelevant for me to go tell somebody else their house is dirty when my house is filthy and they know it. They're not going to take my word for it that their house needs cleaning, right? I mean, you got to work with yourself. Perfectly said. The Democratic Party's historical recollection, if you go back and look at the history, the Democratic Party is the party of sexual abuse and cover-up. That's what they do. They reward their men that do that with great levels of authority, and they cover up and protect them. I mean, it's, now Republicans have had some history in that, but it's not our history. The Democratic Party always been a party of abuse. That's what they do. It's just the image of the same spirit of serfdom and Feudalism, slavery, abusive women, that's what they do. And America has better recognized the enemy within and stop giving them credence. Stop legitimizing their ideas by discussing it. They hate what we love and they love what we hate. Well, there's not a lot of room for... uh for commiserating there. Somebody's got to realize they're on the wrong thing and get on the right thing. Mason Weaver, give us the website and social media. Hey, it's MasonWeaver.com, my news site. I'm all over Facebook and YouTube. Uh, my books are available. It's okay. It's legal plantation and tribalism. I have a new, new book coming out, Why Democrats Hate America. Look for mm. it. All right. I, I will have you back on to talk about that when it's out. Thank you, Mason, for your time today and for your commentary. Fantastic. Mason Weaver, masonweaver.com. God bless you. All right. God bless. We'll be back with more. We'll take more calls if you'd like. 866-963-2037. Keep it here. it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Worry. It's what we do. No matter how brave a face we put on in certain situations, worry still nags at our hearts. But if we remember what God has already done for us, we can hold on to the assurance that he will continue to provide and make a way through the uncertainty of tomorrow. It's lying back in the strong arms of God and basking in the peace that time with Him provides. God will relieve you of worry if you ask Him. It doesn't mean that He'll always give you success or the outcome you think is best, but what He does promise is peace. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com.
Hey, have you called in to share your testimony about how God has been a blessing in your life? If not, what are you what waiting, are you waiting for? for? Shareathon is almost here. Stop whatever it is that you're doing and call 877 327 5647. God is too good for us to just sit there and not tell others about his goodness and his mercy. Simply call 877 327 5647. We can't wait to hear from you. Please call your senators today. It's time to put an end to the liberals' filibuster. Tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood now. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Again, call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Donald Trump's America. President Trump says China is trying to meddle in the upcoming elections. They do not want me or us to win because I am the first president ever to challenge China on trade. He said that while chairing the U.N. Security Council meeting on Wednesday. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi flatly denied it. We did not and will not interfere in any country's domestic affairs. We refuse to accept any unwarranted accusations against China. President Trump doubled down on his claim during a press conference. They would like to see me lose an election because they've never been challenged like this. But I want to open up China to our farmers and to our industrialists and our companies. The president tweeted last week that it was being done to hurt American farmers, but has not given any evidence to back up his claim. Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee have asked the Trump administration to provide proof of China's interference. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We all remember where we were during Clarence Thomas. I mean, I have vivid memories. I think I was 22 years old of high-tech lynching of an uppity black man, of Professor Hill's uh, charges, of Arlen Specter, uh, the late senator from Pennsylvania, attacking Ted Kennedy, the late senator from Massachusetts, saying the women from America don't need to hear from our Ted Kennedy when it comes to women. This really is a historic moment. This is going to be something that we all remember years, if not decades from now, where we were and the coverage of it. And these accusations by these women against Judge Kavanaugh are so brutal. They're brutal accusations, and his denial is so unequivocal that, that there's nothing that happened that, that he can even understand why these charges would be brought forward. The charges are upsetting, uh, and, and uh, they're obviously they've triggered an entire uh, national conversation uh, about sexual assault and sexual harassment, about the unequal way uh, that women and girls are treated in this country. At the same time, there is, as of now, no contemporaneous corroborating evidence for any of the charges, as far as we know. We haven't seen anybody emerge and say, yes, I remember that. And that is an important part of the story as well. Mm. Okay, so that was Jake Tapper. And, uh, you know, I go back and forth with Jake Tapper. Um, He is... He is he's an annoying person because he can say things like that, which is like the truth. Um, But then, you know, within a few minutes, he's back to shilling for the Democrats and he's a member of the media. And so his job is not to shill for Democrats or Republicans. It's to hold government accountable on behalf of the United States citizenry. And he just doesn't do it. 
And so, uh, you know, there's, there's over and over again, we see opportunities uh, for, for the truth to come out. And then just like that, the lie comes in and smacks it down. Anyway, our last piece of audio for today is from Megyn Kelly. Um, she said Ford would likely lose in court and Democrats should be happy this isn't a trial. And I just want to say, um, you know, that it's interesting the dynamic that they have over there at the newsroom at uh, NBC. They have the, some of their kind of fluffy morning people like Savannah Guthrie will be doing hard news when there's something like this, like a national spectacle. And so she's kind of moderating the group of people who are sitting there and they're all hard on the left and they don't hide it. And then you have Megyn Kelly coming in trying to present her opinion from the journalistic perspective. And I got to say, you know, she did. So she's there. She could easily just kind of adopt the mantle of the leftists and go with it. Or she could kind of hide her, you know, she's never really been on the right per se. She's just been a really great advocate for the truth. And so she's here doing that again. And it's the Megyn Kelly I remember from her glory days at Fox, where she was hard hitting with everyone. And it was just the best. And I, I know I've, I've mentioned before, um, I, I've, I met Megyn Kelly before. I was on one of her audience panel shows, actually two of those, a few years ago. And so it was interesting for me to meet her in person because public figures can often be either they're, they're exactly who you know, who you've met, you, you, you feel like you've met them and you have, they're exactly like that, or they're kind of not. And you're like, whoa, this is not what I expected. And she was, she's the same when you meet her in person as she is when she's on television, she's extremely professional. And, um, you know, you know, obviously from the Fox news, um, conveyor belt of, of, uh, beauties, you know, she's, she's stunning in person, but there's this, there's this, there's a kind of professionalism and assurance that she has that she's doing a good job. And some of that to me has been a little missing since she's been over at NBC because the environment has been so, I, you know, I, you can only imagine what the people like are, are, are like there when the cameras aren't rolling because they assume that she's some kind of hardcore partisan on the right. And I do think she's right leaning, but she's much more interested in presenting the truth to her audience. And so I haven't been watching the daily show, but I did watch a few episodes in the very beginning and I was wondering if it was going to pick up and last when they pull her in to do this kind of commentary, it's it's her wheelhouse. It's her strong suit. Uh, let's listen to her number five. I mean, the Democrats should be happy that this is not a trial because if it were, she would likely lose. He would be afforded the presumption of innocence. She would have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. We're 36 years out. She has no corroborating witnesses. And she'd have a jury, as does Brett Kavanaugh, that's completely biased and has made up its mind going into the proceeding. This will be a nightmare criminal trial. But that's not what this is. This is about advice and consent and the Senate's duty to do that, to advise and consent on the president's chosen Supreme Court pick. Their goal, their constitutional mission is to figure out whether Brett Kavanaugh is qualified to sit on the Supreme Court. If you've got some guy who's a serial sexual harasser, you can obviously make the case that he's not. But my own take on it is the Republicans are determined to believe he's not and to hang that, that decision on the absence of hard proof. And the Democrats are exactly opposite minded. And so it becomes an issue of partisanship, which is what we've seen. So I want to 
uh, go over a couple of things. First of all, you've got Christine Blasey Ford, who she presented herself today as a woman who'd been wronged, assaulted, and that there were no underlying partisan reasons for her to do what she was doing. She even said that she wasn't coached in her testimony. She didn't speak to Diane Feinstein extensively. She she didn't she wasn't asked if she spoke to staffers extensively. And I think in her effort to go easy on this woman, she kind of went overboard the questioner on behalf of the Republicans. And that's the danger of giving in to the Democrats on whether or not there should be a, an independent questioner because they need a woman to ask the questions. How weak are we women that we can't answer questions from a man? Really? So here's the story about her. You've got uh, Christine Blasey Ford. Um, people have asked, why would she lie about this? Well, we all know that for some people, abortion is their God. It's not about, you know, Christianity or or being any any other faith, it's about bowing down to abortion. It can never be infringed upon. It can never be defunded. It can never be ham- hampered in any way. It has to be elevated. It has to be worshipped. It has to be more important than anything else, any other singular issue. It has to be. And if you're not in agreement with it, you're a bigot, you hate women, you hate people, you love coat hangers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just garbage. Well, Christine Blasey Ford profited directly from abortion. You can follow the money. Ford works for a pharmaceutical company that manufactures an abortion pill drug whose profits could be strongly impacted by future Supreme Court decisions on abortion rights. So the first thing I need to do is put a pin in that and just make a point. A lot of people have said, well, if Kavanaugh goes on the Supreme Court, he'll overturn Roe v. Wade and then it'll be the end of abortion in America. And that is not how the Supreme Court ruling about abortion works. It made it constitutional and made it nationally the same, meaning that a woman in Massachusetts could expect the same access to abortion as a woman in, in Georgia. And that was the problem. Women in Massachusetts had all the access, the northern states, the more liberal states, and women in the south had almost no access. All the overturning of Roe v. Wade would do is remand the issue of abortion back to the states. And about 21 to 28 states would immediately limit abortion if not outlawing it in all but a few specific cases that ha- would have to be substantiated. And other states, abortion would remain the law of the land. And so if you needed unfettered access to abortion because that's your contraceptive you know, mechanism of choice, then you could just move to a state where there would be abortion clinics on every corner, just more than, more than churches, and you'd be perfectly have access absolutely. If you wouldn't want to move, you could fly to those states and get abortions, as some people do, and nothing would change. So overturning Roe v. Wade does not outlaw abortion in this country. What it does is it takes away this legitimacy, this shroud of legitimacy that means that we have to fund it with taxpayer dollars because without the Supreme Court ruling standing, then a lot more people who are elected to Congress, at least we would hope, would say, you know what, on funding, I don't know if we need that funding anymore. On reimbursements, I don't know if we need those reimbursements. What we need to do is maybe fund these um, community clinics, of which there are 33,000 across the country, one in every single major metropolitan area, sometimes multiple, and definitely multiple of them in every state. I mean, come on, do the math. 33,000 of them. There are only 50 states. They're all over the country. They're federally funded, and they're full clinics, meaning doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, all of the staff, and they have to abide by clinic regulations that are federally set, 
meaning there's no way you're getting there and you can't get a gurney through to pick someone up to take them to a major hospital. And all of the doctors on staff have admitting privileges at multiple hospitals in the region. So that's what we need to know about that. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm fine with it. I'm saying it because this is much more complex than people who are pro-abortion would have you believe. They believe and want you to believe that if abortion is, is overturned at the Supreme Court level, everybody breaks out the coat hangers and you got dead women everywhere you look. Not true. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by that kind of chicanery. So you've got Corsep Therapeutics, Corsep.com, manufactures and markets an abortion pill called Mephiprestone, Mephiprestone. And Christine Blasey Ford is a co-author of at least eight published scientific papers produced by this pharmaceutical giant to promote its pills. You can see Blazy's name listed on several publications at this Corsept.com webpage detailing their research papers. Corsept Therapeutics is a $166 billion market cap company. Their stock symbol is CORT. You should check and see if your investment accounts, your retirement accounts are investing in Corsept Therapeutics. And if they are, you should change those investments. You do not want to be investing in an abortion pill maker. And they reportedly have current annual sales of $216 million. The company only makes one drug. It's called mephipristone. It's widely known as an abortion pill, or you may know it as RU486. So we've been asked over and over again, why would she lie? For money? For abortion? For Democrats? I mean, the list goes on and on. Do we really need to go there? She's lying because it benefits her. Ford actually worked as director of bio, biostatics for Corsep Therapeutics in Menlo Park. So she profits directly from the abortion drug RU486. And she just didn't say anything about this alleged assault until it became clear that the Democrats' key issue, their cornerstone issue, is under attack. And it's not about the legalization or illegalization of abortion. It's about the fact that at the federal level, the constitutionality of abortion affords it legitimacy that enables them to to keep the stranglehold on the funding and even get it increased. Imagine if we were able to say to our senators and elected officials, to our Congress critters, we go up to them and say, abortion is no longer constitutional, meaning it's legal in these states. It's partially legal in these states. Why are we funding that at the federal level? I can see them falling like dominoes. You come in, you say, I'm a single-issue voter, and I'm in a group of single-issue voters. We're on Facebook. There are 8,000 of us, and we live in your district. And all we want is for you to defund Planned Parenthood. That's the kind of single-minded, absolute, effective, uh, get in the vote if you want to call it that, whatever. It's an issue, and it's something that we as Christians should care deeply about. And that's why they're fighting this tooth and nail. That's why they had to destroy Kavanaugh. And they didn't mind. It, you know, the, the ends justify the means. 
the ends justify the means. So we'll see what happens. Um, I personally feel like his opening statement was fantastic and that so many people in America who've identified with the kind of straight up, straight from the hip presentation that Donald Trump gives to us, that people will also identify with what we saw from Judge Kavanaugh, who has been made to wait 10 days to defend his name and good honor and has watched his family torn apart and good friends and just his whole world dismantled, a world he very carefully constructed um, with faith and family and public service and working as a, as a judge. And so I've seen some people commenting, he came on too strong. He doesn't look, you know, yeah, you know what? So you're telling me you think Supreme Court justices don't get angry. You're telling me you think that they don't what they, they don't use the restroom. They don't have they don't have a life. These guys and women, they're all human beings and they get upset, too. They may not get upset at the bench, but Judge Kavanaugh wasn't at the bench today. He wasn't ruling on cases today. He was in a fight for his life. A fight is a nasty, nasty thing. And I'm not talking about a fist fight. I mean the kind of fighting that people do when they're in a war. War is something we take for granted in this country because we've never had to wage a foreign war on our own soil besides Pearl Harbor. But war is not just dog eat dog. It's murder and destruction. It's dead bodies. It's I'm going to survive because I'm going home to my family and you're not. That's war. And in essence, what happened today was Judge Kavanaugh throwing off his robes and putting on his battle armor for war. They threw the first punch. I pray he throws the last one. We'll be with you tomorrow. God bless and good night from the heartland.